The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone, you're listening to the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here with Srinam Manamali Prabhu. Uh, Srinam Manamali thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's uh, such an honor to be here sharing this space with you today. So we have a mutual friend, um, and I've heard so much about you, and I've, I find you very interesting, uh, the things you put out on, on uh, social media, as well as just from hearing about you. And so I thought, well, why not come on the show and talk a bit about your background? Uh, and uh, just from the things we spoke before recording, a uh, very interesting uh, background Srinam Banamali has. So let's get started there. Um, tell us about your upbringing. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Srinam Banamali grew up in uh, the Hare Krishna movement, in ISKCON, uh, in Mayapur specifically. And so that in itself is like very interesting as being a parent and as being a devotee, I feel like a lot of um, of my thinking is like, where am I going to raise my kids? Or is India an option? Or things like that. So your brain about that. But before that, let's talk um, a little bit about your upbringing. How was that growing up? And tell us a little bit about your parents. And uh, we can start from there. Sure. Um, yeah. The, the wonderful opportunity to speak the glories of my parents is... Uh, is something I hold very dear. Obviously, the tendency is to expand the consciousness of the self and think, because they are my parents, therefore they are so uh, wonderful. But I find that sometimes as a fear of getting into that ego trip, I don't speak their glories. And I, and I don't, but it's actually such a, such a wonderful honor. And I hold very close to my heart. And when someone asks me, you know, who are your parents? Then you know, I tend to bring my hands together and say, you know, Sriman Praladner Samhadas Adhikari and Srimati Manarupa Devi. And there's, there is something very fundamentally, oh, Govinda, there's a lot of gratitude in my heart. Mm. A lot of gratitude in my heart. And by their mercy, uh, we, we had a wonderful childhood, a wonderful upbringing, both my brother and I. And we yeah we we definitely grew up mainly in Mayapur in the in the Gurukul in Mayapur, but you know we were in Ecuador in the beginning and then you know as every second generation we lived in America for a little while and in Europe for a little while, and uh, and then Mayapur kind of became home, uh, and uh, and and definitely it was their their facilitation of the Gurukul experience that made it such a positive uh, experience for both my brother and I can speak for both of us in that sense. Their uh, very much hands-on presence allowed the Gurukul experience to feel extremely safe and, uh, and, and wonderful, you know. Yeah, that, that's really interesting that you say that because whenever I think of Gurukul, I think of, okay, um, we're going to kind of hand you off to the the manager the gurukul and the teachers there and then we're going to take a step back but from what you're saying it, they're very hands-on tell us a little bit about how was how were how they hands-on yeah so well when we first went to mayapur we went to the um as you know mayapur there's a bunch of different schools a bunch of different gurukuls and uh, when we first came we went to the Prabhupada village who which isn't active at this point and my father was the ashram teacher, so he was hands-on 
and uh, and he was there, and it was really beautiful. And then at that point, um, the Maharaj Gurukul, as it's known, or the Bhaktivedanta Academy, was about to reopen. Um, and my father immediately enrolled both my brother and I into the school when it reopened. I think that was like 2002 or 2001. Um, and so then from that point, though my father was no longer the ashram teacher, he was still living in Mayapur, very present. We'd see him all the time. And being a very influential personality, always reached out. And he had very close um, relationships with all of the teachers and would always check in with them. And all of the teachers also held him with high regard and a lot of love and respect as well. So whenever we saw our teachers and our parents interacting, there was a very strong mood of love and respect. And that allowed us to maintain uh, that, that, that honor, that respect, that appreciation for both parents and teachers and not kind of like, okay, now you guys are done. Now we're over here or, you know, the teachers are so-and-so I want my parents. There was always a sense of, of inter support, um, which for, for us really was very significant. I like, just like full disclosure, I am not I don't not a believer in the modern Gurukul system, just from the history of ISKCON. Um, and I I find people like yourself to be like very rare in the sense of you've had a great experience while others have not had such a great experience. So um, what else was it about? Okay, your parents being nearby, but what else would you say contributed to like a really good experience there? I think that there's a bunch of different factors. And uh, obviously, you know, we, we know that, you know, that Gurukul, the Maharaj Gurukul in particular, was closed for a while and definitely went through a period of restructure um, internally, having been, you know, um, uh, a space where not the most positive experiences have manifested. Naturally, the desire was to rebrand, recreate, reprogram, and come forward with something that would be... Um, more sustainable and actually serve an ultimate benefit for the community. So I feel that the fact that we came in just at that point, everyone was ultra sensitive on trying to make this really something wonderful. And, and we felt that from all the teachers, the desire to be present, the desire to be um, sensitive to, to the students and what was you know manifesting and developing. And we were kind of growing together. Um, in a lot of ways, the curriculum was developing, the the dynamic of, you know, what the ashram was, you know, at the beginning there was like, okay, all the boys entered the ashram, and then after a while they realized, okay, this maybe is not the best structure, so then um, the younger kids went home in the evenings and then came back in the daytime, and then the younger, even the younger kids only came for a few hours during the day, and there was a lot of shifting and trying to find this balance between you know, being in the ashram and maintaining that support of the parents. And, and to this day, I mean, right now, my brother is involved in the management of the Gurukul, very much so. Um, he's one of the headmasters of the school now. And we talk on the phone at least once a week. Um, and he was just telling me about how they just, you know, changed, made a major change as far as the schedule of the kids. I mean, we were waking up at 2.15 every morning. And they just shifted. They just shifted from that time to closer to Mangalardi time so that the children get, you know, a little bit more sleep, a little bit more rest. And also because they wanted this is really beautiful. And, and I'm sure it was not just him. I'm sure those other devotees involved to have this revelation or or desire for change. But he was definitely one of the personalities that made this happen is this shift where 
We want these children to come out of Gurukul and be able to click into any Iskand temple in the world. If you're accustomed to waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and then doing sadhana and then doing puja and then going to the temple for a quick darshan and coming back to prepare for yagya, etc., it sounds like a very wonderful circumstance, but how is that going to plug you in when you leave the Gurukul? Like, how are you going to fit in? Where are you going to fit in? So then they shifted it to, let's wake up right before Mangalardi. Let's send the kids to the full morning program and then carry on with their different trainings, Brahminical activities. That way, when they leave the school, it's the most natural thing to go to Mangalardi and be there for the whole morning program and feel part of that community. And like, when he said this to me, it was, I was like, why, why weren't we doing this? You know, but sometimes it takes a little while to yeah. restructure. But the beautiful thing is to this day, they're still adjusting, still adapting. And I think that's one of the great successes of that school in particular. Sure, sure. Are you still in touch with some of your peers, like from the, from like years and years of being together, living together, serving together? Yeah, I would definitely say yes. Um, obviously, when, when we first entered, there was only six of us, you know, so... So that that group, you know, all of them, I would say most of them, I, I'm in touch with as often as I can. And for those that I haven't been able to be in touch, you know, you're asking me this now makes me want to reach out to them and say, hey, it's been too long. How are you? Right, right. Um, but but I think that, yeah, I was just coming back to, to one more factor sure, with the sure. previous question, because I feel it's it's obviously a very sensitive topic um, is. The the consciousness, right? the awareness of both the parent obviously at that point there was constant you know meeting so cpt is going to come to the school and speak and there's going to be this you know um, workshop and things so there was a lot of protection manifesting from different fronts you know um and and that was very significant but i do feel that the 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 peace that my father in particular provided me whenever he saw me doesn't matter where it was, if it was in the temple, if it was, you know, we bumped into each other while I was, you know, doing some grocery shopping or something for the school. He'd always stop me, check on me, and not just a superficial checkup. Like he would really say, hey, are you okay? Are you happy? Are you healthy? Are, uh, you know, how's your studies? Are you happy with your experience? And a few times he would even go to the point of saying, if you want to change, if you want to go somewhere else, just say it. You want to go to a different school? Let's go. You want to you wanna go and study something else? You want to become a – at one point, I said I want to be a pilot. I remember this. I was like, you know what? I actually would really like to be a pilot. He's like, okay, but to be a pilot, you have to get your high school uh, diploma. Then you got to do this. He's like, is that what you want to do? And I was like, yeah, I think it would be really cool to be a pilot for Krishna. You know, I think I was like, I think I was like 12 or 13, you know? Right. He, said, he said, okay, but I need you to think about this, and we're going to do this. If you do this, it's a big shift, you know? Wow. So I started thinking about it. He said, why don't we, instead of making a big shift, there was a vacation coming up. And he's like, we could, you know, expose you to what that kind of lifestyle would be, go into some simulators or something so you can experience that before you make a shift. So, yeah, I remember we, we, um, we had a vacation and we went to Thailand and then he bought this huge screen and he got like really, really expensive flight simulator. It was like a video game, but it was more than a video game. It was like something you could actually... Like, you're controlling the rudders and every single thing. And, uh, and he's like, this is, you know, this is what this life would be. And obviously talking about, you know, we were looking at documentaries and stuff. You know, he was trying to expose me to this. Right. And, and I, was, I remember just sitting there being so blown away. Like, you're going to let and, – and, and then realizing, like, I'm not going to be a pilot, you know. <laughs> but just looking at him and being like, you were going to let me do this. You know? What a great father. Wow. Fathers are amazing. 
Yes. So in awe yes. of fathers, actually. And, Just and hearing you say that. And they keep raising the bar, right? And then you, you're yeah. feeling, you're looking at yourself as a father now and being like, <laughs> oh boy, you know, thanks, thanks for that now, you know? Yeah. I mean, but yeah, That's so he was constantly asking, constantly yeah. checking in. And, and there was a point, there was a point where I said, you know what? I think I would like to have a high school diploma because obviously from the Bakhtan Academy, we didn't receive a internationally recognized diploma. I said, you know, I think I would like to have one just because, you know, what mm -hmm. if I want to have it later? I don't want to have to go back to high school. I don't mind going to college in later in my years, you know, like go to university when I'm in my 30s or 40s because I decided, but I don't want to have to go to high school. So I said, maybe I want to have that. I think it didn't last a week from when I told him this and told him that I'd made my decision, that I'd really thought about it. You know, he expressed to the teachers that I have this desire. And inside of a week, everyone was peaceful. The teachers were happy. My relationship with the students didn't get affected. And I shifted to the Smiths to the SMIS right. and I was there for a while and then I ended up going back to the Gurukul and because I was missing my friends and everything and it shifts back realized I wasn't you know ready for for that yet and then I ended up going out again just uh near the end of my studies because we at that point I was already going to the Polish tour I was already um very connected with my Guru Maharaj and service to him and I wanted to go and study um, performing arts. I wanted to become qualified director and screenwriter. And, 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 uh, and so I found a really awesome university for that. And I was like, okay, I want to do that. So then I asked forgiveness again from my teachers, said sorry. And they, they were very supportive. And I shifted again. And then I completed um, high school, got my diploma with, with the SMIS. Wow. Yeah. Some people... Uh, critics of the Gurukula, that specific Gurukula, say, you know, there's a lot of just like, because the, the way you live in there is like, you know, in the straw huts and kind of um, only fire lamps and things like that. Uh, and not so much exposure to like, okay, you're going to go out in the world and you're not going to be living in a straw unless you stay here your whole life, you know, like, so what would you say? Um, was that an experience that you that stayed with you? Was it helpful? Was it helpful or was it not helpful living the way that they do live there? So, so yes, I can see how being in that protective bubble that almost feels like you're a few hundred years behind the rest of the world, where right. you know there's no electricity, no running water. We're like you know we're in a different reality. It it can seem as a situation where you could be faced with like a culture shock coming out of there and seeing the world as it is. And that definitely would be true, would be true if someone actually just went in there and didn't come out for however many years, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you definitely come. It would be, be a huge shock. Um, at least for me, I didn't have that because my parents were constantly, um, sometimes not to the, the greatest satisfaction of the teachers, taking us out for visa trips or family trips and um and we were at least once a year leaving india at least once a year mm -hmm. um whether it was just to thailand you know for a family trip or whether it was to poland for a polish tour or whether to america for some preaching tour my father organized we we're constantly leaving and coming back and while we traveled um you know we maintained a vaishnava adhikara vaishnava you know lifestyle so it wasn't like a shock to come back to the gurukul you know, and all of a sudden wear tilak again or something like that. It was very natural. Um, and that maintained a certain broad-mindedness. And my father was always very much about being aware of 
general accepted knowledge. So whenever he would be with us, he would ask us things about, you know, different historical moments in, in time, you know, about this, you know, in, 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 and instruct us about the, the world wars and, and about, you know, general politics, not getting too much into detail, but always feeling like we should be aware of what's going on as well. And yeah. then as a result, I feel that both my brother and I had a, had a strong um, support system consciously to be able to make that shift um, into the outside world. But as far as the positive, so yeah, there is, there may be a little bit of a, you know, challenge to make that, that consciousness shift. But as far as the positive goes, just the other day, I was speaking with, um, who was I speaking with? His Grace Abhiram Prabhu, right? And wonderful devotee. Um, I've had the good fortune to somehow develop a sweet relationship with him. And he was telling me about Prabhupada's vision of living off the land, you know, and he was telling me some really sweet memories of some of the last days um, in Vrindavan where Srila Prabhupada wanted to go back to America. And he said, my, my, my mission is unfinished, you know. And, and he, he, he shared a very intimate moment where um, he was with Prabhupada and, and he asked Srila Prabhupada and he said, so what, what is this unfinished aspect of your mission? What is it that you, you, you feel needs to be done? What are you going to do to go back to America now? And he said that Srila Prabhupada said, I'm going to go to Gita Nagari, or he said Sharanagati, I can't remember. I think it was Gita Nagari. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to teach you how to live off of the land. And that was just so beautiful. And, and I definitely have a very strong attachment and attraction to living off the land and living the simple living, you know. And, and I was sharing this in, with him, you know. And, and he said, you know, for some people, it seems so far-fetched. Like, oh, yeah, living off the land is this romantic idea, but can you really do it, you know? But for me, it's like, yes, I can do it. I've done it. <laughs> I've lived without electricity. I've lived without running water. We grow most of our own food in the back field. You know, we, we cooked with cow dung patties. You know, for me to shift back to that would be so simple. Like if something wow. were to happen in the world, you know, sure, and sure. things were to get kind of complicated and our life were to shift, it would be so natural for me and to be able to guide my family into this mode of life, collect firewood, you know, with the clay, make your little you know, little stove and cook and, and live simply and happily ever after, you know. So there's still some things that you do now still, you know, I mean, you're living in a, you're living in, now in America, but are, there are things, are there still things that you do from that time that you learned in Gurukul that you're using to this day? Yes, I still, I still wipe the floor on all fours. I don't like mops. I think oh, okay. mops are, I, I just don't get the point. Like your right. arm can reach there and it's much more of a physical exercise. <laughs> just right. dip it in the bucket, wring it out and just wipe the floor. It's a better job. Right. And if I could find shorthand brooms, I would probably use those as well. Right. Um, I feel like there's too much distance. I still like cannot sleep on a high bed. I don't feel comfortable. I like oh, to be as close to the ground as possible. So with my wife, we found a compromise. Like one foot off the ground is about as high as I can go. Right. <laughs> and there's all little idiosyncrasies that may be there, but um, a lot, a lot of that definitely stayed. A lot of that definitely stayed. As far as just day-to-day -day things. I feel like. I mean, I would love to live in motive. That's like such a motive goodness atmosphere. And to live as a family in that, it's like very powerful. Just the way then you're you're raised, like the way you were raised in that mode of goodness, like it affects you later on in life as well. Just from whatever you interact with, you're kind of always looking back. I mean, that, that, that shapes you, right, in a way? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. But with every with every circumstance, there's always a pro and a con, right? There's always mm -hmm. a plus and a minus. And and I find one of the most challenging things that I feel um, came as a result of my upbringing that now I'm still facing. And this is that something relatively personal, but hey, we're here to share. Um, mm -hmm. And that is that I'm I find myself too attached to a sattvic environment. Oh. So if it's not a sattvic environment, I feel like I can't function, right? If if the you know we're in a hotel room and the floors are carpeted, and you know the beds are like two two and a half meters off the ground, and you know the shower and the bathroom is in the same space, and there's all these little things, I feel like how can I unpack my deities and do puja here? Like this is just unacceptable, you know. <laughs> and 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 then I tell myself that. I'm actually doing the right thing by not worshiping my deities in this environment, you know? Mm. And I remember this one time I had this, I had this, you know, this, this, this idea and I was getting really staunch in it. And then I was literally sitting down on one of those plush sofas that they always have in these hotel rooms and trying to see some pictures of Vrindavan or something. I just felt disconnected. And I found a picture of, I think it was, Oh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Bhakti Vishwambar Madhava Maharaj. Mm -hmm. um, and he's sitting in an airport with the trolley of his suitcases pulled up in front of him. And then on top of his trolley of his suitcase, he has a chutter. And then he has his shalagrams in a tray and he's bathing them oh in, like God. on a layover somewhere. And that was just, <laughs> yes, you know, that that's that's actually the consciousness to expand. And And I feel that that's one of the things that, that I, this might even be on your list of questions, but one of the things that when I graduated or or I completed my training in Mayapur, and then I started, you know, moving on to get married and visualizing what I wanted to offer to my children, I remember having this discussion with my wife, like, yes, Mayapur is an absolutely wonderful place to grow up. There is no doubt about it. And if you have parents that are able to keep you from becoming completely secluded to that bubble and keep your mind open to the reality of the world around you even better. But what if you could manifest a bubble of Mayapur anywhere you are? What if you could go somewhere and manifest the Dham, you know, and, and this may seem very um, arrogant, like how can you manifest the Dham, you know, but, but the idea is that you want the dam to be so ingrained in your heart that wherever you go, you you try look for the dam, right? You look for this these upadis. You look for these moments where the dam manifests, you know. Because even in Mayapur, if you live there for long enough, you have to look for Mayapur to see it. You you lose it; it just becomes a normal thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then that that beauty of constantly digging, constantly looking for the dam. To manifest that in other spaces, as we've seen, Shivaram Swami, you know, is a wonderful Vrindavan Dam is manifest there. Govinda Swami in Kazakhstan, or if you've ever been there, uh, mm -hmm. Sri Vrindavan Dam, beautiful, you know, smaller, but just as, as wonderful. And, you know, so many different wonderful projects. These great devotees have expanded acres of land into the Dam, you know, and so many devotees have been able to take refuge. So my my meditation is... You know, yes, I, I cannot manifest acres of the dam, but if I am arrogant enough to think that I can raise a child in Krishna consciousness, then I should at least be able to manifest, you know, a few square feet of a home into the dam so that they can grow up in the dam, 
you know? Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the meditation. Someone thinking along the same lines, someone thinking to move to Mayapur, but they feel like, okay, it's a, in some ways, like you said, it's a bubble. Like you can just, you get lost, like living. I, I, some, I don't even see the, 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 how that's bad. If you don't, if you like to stay there and not move out and go do other things. So I, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but in 2022, what would you say to someone thinking of moving to Mayapur? I mean, there's, it's a lot different from 2002, you know, it's like the big temples there. There's probably going to be a lot of tourism coming very soon already. It's like a huge city metropolis. You could say uh, all kinds of devotees, all kinds of people. Um, what would you say to that? Like if someone wanted to move there, <laughs> that's a, that's a massive question. Um, yeah. Like what would, what would I, what would I say to them in the sense that they're moving there? How would I prepare them for that? Or they're considering whether they should move in that direction or not? Yes, the latter, because okay. you're from there and you grew up there, you know? So would you recommend it, I guess, is the question. And maybe why aren't you there right now? Okay. That's what yeah. they would say. Like, okay, yeah, right, yeah, you can recommend it, but why aren't you there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I could not possibly not recommend going to the dump like that would be right. that'd be a surreal i think um <laughs> but but to say but to say that it is in the best interest of your family at this point would really depend on every individual every single family their nucleus their financial structure their economic you know structure and then their inter you know their inter what do you say family dynamic as well you know the ages of their children is a big factor as well um so Mayapur at this point, it's changed so much from the small, you know, town that, that I remember. Um, and it's wonderful to see that. That was, you know, Nityananda Prabhu's vision, right? Bhaktanotakur, that's that's what's going to happen. And, and and there's no doubt that these great Acharyas are extremely pleased to see how Mayapur is turning into this city, you know, and surely continue developing with time. And and it's important that Mayapur be a very significant um, center of of bhakti of of Islam, of Prabhupada's churn, and being able to contribute towards that that's wonderful. That's absolutely yeah. and especially if you're able to go there and offer something, not just take. What are you going to offer to Mayapur? You're just coming to leech off of the energy of Mayapur. You know, like you're coming to the dam to serve the dam. So how are you going to serve? That would be one question. But then, as far as the children, like if it's some factor of, I'm guessing we're talking about parents with children sure. um it really depends on the age you know i think that in the younger age you know the the child keeps expanding from different layers of protection right in the beginning the child is protected you know within the cells of the parents individually in in some you know um sense and then they come together in the womb of them, they're protected in the womb finally protected in the in the in the room then to the home and then finally the backyard after a certain amount of days they're be exposed to the sun on the mother like this is so many protection right um speaking you know having a daughter naturally you want to provide a, a safe protective environment that's not constrictive right so in those early years the exposure of the child to krishna consciousness is their parents you know if if you have parents that are 
praying daily, that are chanting daily, the child wakes up hearing the bell, goes to sleep doing a little kirtan with their parents. It doesn't matter if you're in Soho or in Mayapur. The child is gonna the child's experience is based on the parents and what their Krishna consciousness is like, right? Yeah. As they get a little older, surely then it's the friends. So what kind of friends are gonna interact with? Right? So so for example, using myself as an example, as you said, they're gonna say, Hey, yeah, but what are you doing? So you know, my daughter was born in the Dham by, by Krishna's born in 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 she was born just outside of Mayapur. And soon after we shifted to Ecuador because my father was developing a preaching project there and he said I would really like to before I leave this world offer something back to the town where you know my whole Krishna consciousness began, process began. I want to offer something back here and I would like you to come and help me. So you know, we decided to dedicate a period of our life to manifesting this project. And obviously keeping in mind, Daya was a few months old, you know. So she was in the protective space of her family. Of, of, of her, and she has the access and the association of her grandfather. It was the most wonderful thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and we were there and we had managed to develop the project. It's a wonderful space. You're more welcome to check it out on Instagram, the Bhakti Tree, on Facebook. And anyway, the Bhakti Tree is developed the seed has been planted and the tree is manifesting and there's you know a restaurant and yoga studio and so many wonderful aspects of the center there that's now being continually um developed and manifested by uh, my good parents um Sriman and Srimati Lalita Sakimataji, my second mother. Um so they're there, they're developing that project. But then it came a point where I saw the project is already you know formed and obviously it could take lifetime lifetimes of you know energy to develop it further but i saw that my main service was completed and i noticed that my daughter was getting to the age where she wanted to have friends and socialize now it's like oh my friends my friend right mm -hmm. and but the, this is a preaching this is a preaching project this is the front lines this is a you know this is not a community yet it could come to that point but that point yet so now i would be doing a disservice to her by staying on the front lines and doing my preaching service right so my primary service at this point is to be a father, so we shifted. Where can I find a community of devotees with young children the same age as my daughter that can run and frolic in the dusty paths on Reti Dam? <laughs> so I come to Alachua, right? And here she has her friends. And, oh, whose house were you today? Oh, I was at Ganesham's house. Oh, not Alberto's house? Oh, Ganesham's. Oh, I was at Madurika's house. Oh, I was at Nandi's house. What did you do? Oh, we were singing and chanting. We did kirtan. So this is this is what you want to provide. So now the social circle is manifesting. Again, you just need a group of Vaishnavas, like-minded parents, provide that environment. Yeah. Beautiful. The the I challenge the challenges come at the ages of the child develops, right? So when they start, if I see, and, and I, I'm sure that you know, by the association of all these wonderful votes, we shouldn't face these challenges, but I, I'm thinking of them. You know, if I see that my daughter approaching teen years is now struggling because some of her friends maybe aren't, you know, in the process of bhakti and she's starting to see an alternate world out there and starting to become confused, then this is no longer the ideal place for her. Then I shift, right? So ideally, I'm able to establish a strong enough foundation of values for her by that point so that when she starts to see that world, she's not disturbed by it or bewildered by it. So she's, yes, yes. And then I'm like, hey, um, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine, Baba. Yeah, but you're, you saw what your friends were wearing or doing. It's like, yeah, but that's okay. They, they don't know. 
they think you know that this is the idea of you know broadcasting the self by expansions and, and demonstrations of sensuality and sexuality, but they don't understand that the principles of bhakti are beyond and the power of a woman is, uh, I'd be like, wow, okay, wonderful, you know? <laughs> a man can dream, right? And But the principle, if I start seeing that there's some bewilderment there, starting to wonder, and be, so that means she's not ready to be exposed to that level of, you know, maya shakti yet. So then Mayapur is a wonderful place to go. There she's in a protected environment where you know, though there's always going to be good, good and bad association, the relative dynamic of who the naughty kids are here and who the naughty kids are there will be very different. Mm -hmm. And the exposure will be very different. So then in that sense, if your child is in the teen years and you're noticing that they're starting to get bewildered and you want to run to Mayapur, run to the Holy Dham and roll in the dust. You know, that's a wonderful idea. But that's circumstantial situation. I love what you said about adjusting like being so in touch with your children that when you feel like, okay, there is some struggle or there's some challenge, then readjust. And I think that's super important and it's super, like I'm blown away. That's a great point. I haven't thought of it as being a father myself. I mean, I do think about, okay, my kids are getting older. They're going to need other kids to play with and things like that. But that's um, very wise of you to, to think like that because, I mean, we see this. We see the 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 struggles that kids have had when they're not in the correct association or they're not in the correct environment, and it can when when they're not properly um, engaged, and they can it can cause havoc. I feel right, and 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 being and being aware that just because one situation may be ideal now does not mean it'll be ideal tomorrow. Right, yes. because they're going through so many layers of change and development and awareness. So this may be the ideal situation now, and so long as it is, we stick to it. But then we have to be ready and, and humble enough to say, you know what? Now it's not ideal. Now we should shift. And and I think that a certain faith in Krishna has to be there because it's there's always you know, maybe you're living in a certain place and and you're able to maintain yourself financially, but then thinking of going somewhere else for the, for your children, that may bring up another challenge of, okay, maybe I don't have work there, or maybe I, uh, you know, some, what's my living situation going to be. So I guess having faith in Krishna that, okay, these kids have their own karma that they're bringing with them. Uh, you have your own karma that you're bringing with you and, you know, it's going to work out, I guess, if you have faith that Krishna will maintain you and you're trying to do the best you can. Uh, for your family and the best interests of your family. There's, there's definitely wonderful truth to what you're saying. And uh, and and the fact of the matter is, though Mayapur is developing into this world, the, the economic structure hasn't been established yet. So to actually financially maintain your family in Mayapur and live the quality life that you would want to offer them, it, it's not sustainable at this point. It's not. So you have to be bringing Lakshmi in from outside somehow. Um, otherwise, you can't actually, it's not, not inside of my So there, there are challenges like that. But then again, it's not all white and black. It's not necessarily you have to move to Mayapur. Go to Mayapur for a summer. Send your family there for a little while so that they can, you know, sometimes just going there and seeing the sheer magnitude of ISKCON and the sheer magnitude of, of you know, youth dancing and singing and playing, you know, Murdanga and doing all these different wonderful activities and, and that the fun is going to the Ganga and like, 
we grew up having a wonderful childhood. And yeah, when we got to the teen years, actually after I left the Google, girls existed. And that's a whole thing, you know, you got to figure out. Uh, but still, when, when we went to like hang out, what was a Kirtan program and eat prasadam? And yeah, while eating, there's a little eyes, eye contact here and there. You know, that's your, wow, you know, that was, uh, we went out into the town. So, so let, let them experience that, that, that you can have that full experience of, you know, teenagehood or whatever it is you need to figure out within Krishna consciousness. Because Mayapur is so huge, you get to fit in there somewhere. And, and that doesn't necessarily have to be a shift of your entire family and selling everything you own. And No, you can go there for some time, expose your family to if somehow to stay long, if not, us with the visa thing, it's not so easy, you know. Yeah. You know, you're you're a tourist there or a student. Yeah. Um. I hear when when you speak, I hear a lot of respect for your parents, but just from the from the very beginning, was that taught to you in the Gurukul, or was that something that came naturally? I mean, I feel I also have a real respect for my parents. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around how, I mean, not that I want respect for, but, but I feel like that's a, that's a part of the culture. Like that's part of Vedic culture is, is like really holding your parents in high regard. And um, so was that something that came naturally just being interacting with your parents or was it something that was taught? It's definitely taught. I think that ultimately what is teaching is reminding, you know, removing some kind of anarta to allow the soul to see, right? Ultimately teaching is, is you know, there are personalities that have been, you know, covered by different layers of uh, conditioning and that conditioning is removed and then naturally it becomes very natural, like Krishna consciousness becomes very natural. Um, and part of Krishna consciousness, as you said, is the culture. So I would say it naturally, definitely taught, but I wouldn't say that that, that consciousness of respect for the parents was taught by the Gurukul. Definitely um, kindled and developed by the Gurukul, but it was always my father teaching me to respect my mother and my mother teaching me to respect my father. If I ever spoke back to my mom, my father would turn to fire. Like, how can you speak to her like that and singing the glories of my mother constantly, never undermining her in front of me? He would never, you know, though, though there were definitely instances where he would chastise her in front of me, he would always find the time to later come and explain why that was necessary, like why he had to chastise her. And same with my mother. If she had to disagree with him with something later, she would always come back and explain. So this, this desire of each parent for the child to hold the other parent in high regard and love and respect would come and offer respects to my father in the morning and she would take us with her and say offer respects to your to your pizza offer respects and same father's like devices to your mother so the constant sense of one guiding the proper training towards the other developed a beautiful you know uh, arrangement and consciousness wonderful yeah i love that a lot um yeah it, it makes a great it makes for a great dynamic when they're not I remember my father used to do that to me. He used to tell my every Saturday to go touch my mother's feet. And I and I was always wondering, like, but my mother didn't do it to the other way. Um, but it, it it definitely instills some type of respect and um yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um let's talk a little bit about your your mother. I know a number of years ago, how many years has it been now that it from her passing? Well, Krishna, it it's such a difficult question because I like in the back of my mind, I know this number, 
right? But mm-hmm. it never feels right. It's always like, no, but she's been gone for so long. Like, it always feels almost like remembering a different life. Like, like somehow mm-hmm. it feels like it's been ages. So, so yeah, you know, it's 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 very difficult to feel that awareness of okay, it's been you know six or six years now, right? It's it's the feeling of when was the last time I had the you know the good fortune to have her association. It feels like it's you know it's been very 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 long time. Um. Tell us a little bit about uh, the events leading up to her passing. I know there were, it was. A, I remember online. You know, there was a there was a lot of um, information about. You know, there was a lot of people doing kirtan. There was there was a very auspicious. Uh, you know, passing in Mayapur. And uh, what were you feeling at the time? What was your situation at the time? I know. I talked to my peers. You know, and it's it's like one of the biggest fears of us devotees with devotee kids with devotee parents that to have to experience the passing of a parent because parents are so it's so integral so connected such a big part of our lives and i just want to hear a little bit from you about that yes that that was um definitely one of the most substantial experiences of of my life and 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 definitely there is there is a very real fear of impending experience you know cuz doesn't stop and krishna's for sure missing his his dear devotees and at some point he won't be able to tolerate that separation anymore and we're going to have to experience the other side of that shift I mean, luckily for for me and my brother, my my father was was very sensitive to the early stages of of the cancer's manifestation. Right, mm-hmm. so he he had sat me down, and and as far as I know, I believe he had a similar conversation with my brother, almost two two and a half years before my mother left. At this point, there was nothing malignant. There was nothing, you know, uh, alarming. But I remember we were, we were in a taxi in Calcutta, and that classic Calcutta street with a bunch of cabs parked on the side and this tamarind tree hanging over. Somebody was washing themselves in one of those gushing waters on the side. There it was early in the morning, and my mother had just gone in to pick up some Ayurvedic medicine. Um, for my father and and my father was having yeah he was he was definitely in something and i was kind of checking in on him i was like you know how are you is everything okay because i could tell there was something and he said there's something i need to do. and and i you know i i i told him that i'm ready you know i'm here i can handle it because he was obviously not wanting to share this and and he said that that um there is upcoming transit, a very particular Shani or Saturn transit that my mother was going to have to face. And he said with her or planetary placement, obviously my father, for those of you who don't know, is a very respected astrologer. He said with these planetary placements, 
there is a very dangerous window for us, you know, for her, you know, it's whatever Christians desire, but for us, if she doesn't make it past this particular window of time, then she, she will go, she will leave. And I remember how it, how it felt when like the floor just cracks. It, it, it's still there, but I imagine it must be similar to the feeling of walking over a river, a frozen river or lake and hearing this, this cracking sound. And, and I remember that feeling of just not like all of a sudden there was nothing I'm standing on anymore. And I just like had to get to the shore somehow. And, and he said like, you know, then from that point on, he was always like, oh no, but it's good. You know, she'll be okay. You know, we'll, we'll make sure that she's healthy and strong. And, and then it was about a year after that where he called. At that point, I was touring with uh, the Polish tour, um, traveling with, uh, well, it was funny. It's called the Polish tour because within Iskand, it's known as the Polish tour, but we've toured all over the world. Wow. Um, and, and I remember I got a phone call from my father, and he said that, they, yeah, that they found, they found that there's cancer present, um, but it, it was still malignant. Uh, it wasn't, no, was that already shift? I can't remember. It, it, I just remember this phone call where like this, this, this conversation in the cab that felt like a dream all of a sudden became real. And then from that point, um, they started, you know, doing a, just a series of different treatments. They went through all different programs and treatments, at which point we were already, you know, quite aware of what was manifesting. And then, um, and then, yeah, radio, finally, and then chemo. And, uh, and every time we went through something, you'd be like, oh, everything's better now. You know, we're good. And then, sure enough, you know, it would, it would slide back and, and be much worse. And, yeah, so then we, they were, I had come to visit them in Ecuador. They were, she was going through the radiotherapy in Ecuador. And it seemed like she was recovering, re responding really well to the radio. And I went, I, I, you know, I went back to Brindavan to, to do Karti with my Guru Maharaj and also prepare for a, a big show. It was going to be, one, I think it was the first or second large show that the, the tour was going to do in India, which was something Guru was very excited about because we were going to prepare, you know, um, a Bharatanatyam play with Indian pure Bharatanatyam dancers and Western devotees. And it was going to be like dancing white elephants kind of vibe. Right. Um, and Gurdiv was very enthusiastic and inspired. And I was cast at that, that point, I was still acting full on. Um, and I was cast as Anirudha in the play Ushaniruddha. So I went to start my training in Bharatanatyam in Mumbai. And as far as I knew, my mother was recovering and I was, you know, in Mumbai, serving Gurudev, going daily for hours and hours of Bhartanatyam classes with a very wonderful and respected teacher, Vaibhara Arekar. And um, it, was, it was very nice. It was, it was, everything was okay. And then sure enough, my father called and he said, uh, yeah, things swung back. Things swung back. And now we're coming to Mumbai to do another series of, of chemo. So then they came to Mumbai and they went through, through the second, you know, you know, desperate attempt to kind of sort this out. By which point, her lungs were already filling up with, with water, and uh, they had to do a pump, a drainage. And then uh, I remember the doctors. They said that look, 
at this point, there's there's nothing more we can do. We're just adding, you know, weeks, maybe months. But like, it's just the body is just it's collapsing. It's not even taking the the chemo anymore. So they said, what we could do is we could, you know, to give her the maximum amount of time. They they want, they wanted to keep her in the hospital and put tubes in everything. And I remember she was when she first started getting it. She's like, whatever happens, please let me die with some dignity. She's don't leave me in a hospital tied in with tubes and all that nonsense, you know. And that was one of the things I was asking from the very beginning. So obviously, when we heard that, we knew that that wasn't going to be what we were for. And when the doctors assured us what the doctors in Ecuador already told us, now the doctors in India told the same. So then, uh, so then she said, "Please let us go to Mayapur." And then uh, we went to Mayapur, set her up in a beautiful room in the Conch building, and uh, and just wanted to leave. And basically, her plan was they stopped in Calcutta before going in, and they did a drainage, so to remove it from the lungs. And her plan was she wanted to leave before the lungs needed to be drained again. That was her her plan. So arriving in Mayapur, she just slowly, slowly started retracting and slowly eating less, eating less until she was pretty much just drinking and then just spoonfuls of ghee retracting to the point where she was just drinking water. And like that, she just kind of shut the body down very naturally. Uh, and, did you, and did you, from Mumbai, you came for, for that? So I wanted to. I wanted to. And I, and I spoke to her at that point. Obviously, once she started just drinking water, she was hardly able to speak. You know, it was, it was very difficult for her. But before that, I spoke to her and I said, look, I'll come. I'll come right now. I'll drop everything. And she said, no. She said, your service to me as a son has been from there till now. Now your service as a, as a disciple. This entire has been planned on this show. And posters everywhere. There's you as Aniruda, and this you know, that, that's your service now. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna allow this show and all these devotees and all this Lakshmi and all this project to be canceled just because you want to, you know, be by my side, which I appreciate. Don't worry, your brother is here. That was her exact words. Don't worry, your brother is here to assist me. So he was lifting her, carrying her, everything. Um, she said, "I want you to stay in Mumbai." So, so I stayed. And then, Mumbai. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then, so she started re re retracting slowly, slowly. Obviously, there was kirtans, and this was just around Gorpurnim time. GBCs were in, in, in Mayapur, and all these wonderful devotees were there who would come and visit to read to her, and and um, and just receiving so much wonderful information. And uh, and then the show started in um, performing, and and the show was going on, and I would call, and and then. Uh, and then Nandini Mataji, who, those of you who don't know, is one of the most powerful women I've ever met and probably will ever meet um, in the world, but she's specifically within ISKCON. an extremely powerful personality. And uh, those of you who know her know what I'm talking about. So she, she approached me and she said, look, she, she's very, very dear to, to me and, and obviously the family. She said, we have to go see her. So she, together with her husband and children, we all took a flight. She sponsored my ticket, flew from Mumbai to Kolkata, spent some time with, with Ma. And, and, um, and she, Ma also asked her, it's like, now you must take care of him. It was very sweet. Um, but then we had to go back because there was another show booked, you know. And so then, you know, I said my goodbyes um, in Mayapur, which was a very, you know, something you don't plan to do, you know. 
one thing is to accept that your parents leave. Another thing is to consciously say goodbye, knowing you won't see them again. Mm-hmm. And obviously she gave me some very wonderful instructions and it was a very wonderful closure, um, but very strange because you nothing could prepare you for that. Nothing could prepare you for that. So we went back to Mumbai. And then in Mumbai, Nandini was just so, you know, shaken by everything that I'm going through. And she said, look, we'll get someone else to do this. You can just go and be with her. So she asked me to stay, you know, so there's all this churning of emotions. So what Nandini actually did is she bought me tickets that left Mumbai after every single show and flew me back before every single show. So I would do the show, come off the stage, grab my carry-on after my last entrance, grab my carry-on, taxi straight to the airport, fly to Calcutta, drive to Mayapur, spend time with my mother, drive back to Calcutta, fly back, do the show, and like that. Um, And by Krishna's mercy, on one of the visits when I was in Mayapur, she left. So I was able to actually be there and and you know sing kirtan with with my brother and it was very sweet it was in the it was an evening there was gurudev came to uh my my beloved spiritual master om vishnupad indraduna swami maharaj came and he he spent time he read to her and did kirtan and we all had a wonderful program and then i he flew back to mumbai and then i believe it was the next day or the day after that um my brother woke us up. We took shifts, you know, her making sure that she was comfortable. And, uh, and he woke us up. And I remember he woke me up with the word saying, it is time. It is time. And even though you're deep in, you know, ignorance and you just woke up and really knew what was going on. Yeah. And, um, and she was laying down on this beautiful bed. And on the wall in front, we had put posters of all different deities from all different temples. Her favorite, Jagannath. Poor, obviously, Pujari in Orleans for many years, and Jagannath, some, some uh, very special connection she has with Jagannath. And so Jagannath was there, Rajput Jagannath, and we had little candles lit, ghee lamps all over the room. Jayapatagaswami requested that we have a clay pot with Ganga Jal um, nearby so that she could leave inside the Ganga. So you just put her hand in the pot of Ganga water, and then she's leaving her body while in the Ganges. Oh, it was wow. a very, very sweet arrangement. So we had a pot of gun, Ganga water, and she had one hand in the Ganga water. Then she had her other hand in her bead bag. And inside her bead bag, there was dust from every holy place. Every devotee that came from her daven brought twigs and dust. And there was even some Govardhan shalagrams in there. Um, and then Janayavasprabhu had sent one dresses, one of the, like, bundies of Mahaprabhu. So we put that on top of her. And... Uh, and then, um, yeah, she just she was just smiling and and uh, and chanting. There's so many pastimes leading up to this that obviously I, we're not getting too far into this. But there's so many amazing moments now that like it's just churning. But share, share one, share share one, please. One that stands out. A cup for the huge storm. A huge storm, you know those Mayapur storms that shake the buildings. And one of Ma's favorite things was to experience the Mayapur storms. And I remember we used to go up on the roof and watch the the, the coconut palms, and and there was this huge storm. And I had just come back, and I literally got out of the taxi and ran up the stairs, put my bags, came, paid my taxes, and then she was smiling, and uh, and she wasn't speaking anymore. She was only drinking water. That too, few sips. 
And uh, what was interesting, too, is to the very last day, she would get up off her bed with assistance and take a full bath. She was like, none of this towel bath. Like, I want a full bath. Um, anyway, so she was laying there, and, uh, and I said, Ma, there's a storm outside, you know? And, and she looked at me, and she just smiled. And I thought maybe she couldn't hear me or something. I said, Ma, there's a storm. Can you hear the storm? And she just looks and she smiles and she, she just nods like this. And then I said, it's, it's a really loud storm. I just thought maybe her hearing is somehow, you know, not so strong. I said, Can you? and then at that moment, a huge thunder hit, huge thunder, like shook the building. I said, did you hear it now? And she just smiling, closed her eyes and just said, no. And then, and then, and then she, she kind of lifts her fingers like that, you know, like to hold my hand. That was kind of how she reached out and I held her hand. And then I was like, you can't hear the storm. And then holding my hand, she starts doing this with her fingers. One, two, one, two. Just that sense I could hear that in the other room, there was one of those Prabhupada boxes playing. And she was following the cartels with her finger. And I was like, okay. <laughs> You know, and I realized that I came, you know, from the journey, so excited to see her and like, yeah, the storm, the storm. And she's completely focused in a different space. And I realized I'm not here to try to keep life interesting for her and share like storms and fun things. Like she's somewhere else and I don't need to come and try make, yeah, like I, I don't, what am I trying to do? You know, like she's in a completely, and at that moment there was like some kind of like a disconnect and like, I stopped seeing her as my mother and started seeing her as this great devotee that's about to leave and disturb her, you know? So from that moment, I didn't like speak to her directly again. I just kept a very humble attitude because I came in like, yes, my mom, everyone, because as devotees chanting Japa and I, I felt so stupid and so arrogant to come in like, hey, ma, there's a storm, you know? Right. And, uh, and, then, and then I realized in a completely different space. And yeah, and 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 that that same space just kind of carried through all the way. And and that morning, the the kirtan, we sang kirtan, and she was just chanting, and and uh, and obviously she had her hand in a bead bag. The lips were slightly moving, until my father just kind of leaned over, and and my brother and I. This was so heavy because and her and both are breaking, kind of realizing what's happening. so we but shifted our bodies to to not to to look at the wall where the where the kirtan was and my father also who was kind of tending to her also started choking up because it was very real what was happening so he also just shifted so there's this moment where the entire family was just looking at the deities at this wall of 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 you know wonderful personalities and yeah. no one was like looking at each other it was just a group of individuals serving krishna and and that that was the moment when she left. You cut out there a little bit. You why why weren't you why weren't you and your brother and your father looking at her? It was just too much. Right. It was too much. Like she was completely peaceful. She wasn't like looking at her eyes. She wasn't in any kind of discomfort. And this happened. Uh, this is another thing. Like a few days before, when I came back, this is like my last visit. I came and I saw her, and her body had really. Become so thin, it was so difficult for me to see her. So when I held her hand to greet her, I just broke down, in in almost like wails, and and really trying to hold it together. 
And my father asked the devotees who were doing kirtan to please shift to the other room. And then my father came to pacify me. He also started breaking down. And I was just so real for me. And at that moment, I looked up to see my mother somehow expecting her to also be crying. And she was just smiling with this compassionate smile, like looking and feeling like you're still in the bodily concept. You still think that I am your mother and that this is goodbye. And, and, and like my, my tears shut off like a like gate just closed. And just looking at her completely shocked, completely fine, patting me like, you know, like, like a little, you know. And, and that's what, what I saw also. And that, that morning, you know, when we looked at her, we were realizing it was so hard for us to, to see her so ready. It wasn't difficult to see her ready to go. It was difficult for us to just see her go, you know. And, and so we all just shifted. We all just shifted to look at the, at the deities. And then at one point, my father kind of came over in front of us, and he just went like this. And so then we ended the kirtan. Anyway, then then we had the wonderful ceremony of taking her to the her body to the the Ganga, and and then we um we we you know completed the the rites as the older son. I completed the rites, waited until the pyre completely burnt down, took the ashes, brought into the Ganges, and then still wet from the Ganges, I got in the taxi, drove to Mumbai for the show the next morning, and I arrived in Mumbai at like one o'clock in the morning, and Gurudev picked me up from the airport. He personally came to pick me up, and uh, and his instruction to me was, "You should cry." He said, "Don't feel like, don't hold back." He said, "You should cry," and uh, and yeah. So then then, Gurudev, Gurudev has been my shelter before and and words. You know, he was such a powerful figure for for all of us to through this. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much that that we could share on on this topic and. Uh, I just feel very grateful to have been able to not only witness her wonderful life, but also her, her wonderful passing. Wow. Uh, amazing. I mean, is there ever, like, can you ever be ready for, uh, I mean, actually, no, that's not a good question. Um, you, like you said when the, in the beginning, like you feel like it was a whole nother life. Um, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like, was it that it was a part of your life that kind of uh, was put to a close and something new started or like, what did you mean by that in the beginning when you said it feels like a, like a, like a long time ago? You know, you know, when, when, when I first started, cause obviously I've been asked this, this question many times by friends or other personalities that also want to be able to absorb something from this experience. And, yeah. and I started using this statement of it's another life actually after I heard um, a wonderful devotee, um, Bhakti Bringa Govindaswami, he, you know, also by by his mercy, he's he's very kind with me. And I was asking him about what it was like after Srila Prabhupada left. And he said it changed. You know, like, yes, the movement continues and the service continues, and, and Prabhupada is present in every moment, in every deity, in every book, in every in every breath, but something changed. Like the world just got a little bit darker, you know. And and for me, I could immediately I understand that because I had a experience, and it was like that that you know she was my life. <laughs> I'm sorry to to bring these feelings up. Oh, these are happy really... tears, Prabhu. These are happy tears. This is gratitude. I'm so grateful to be able to to be able to glorify her. 
you know and uh and and i feel that that shift it's it's like night and day and and the 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 mood continues the service continues the relationship continues but it's just a little less bright and 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 then krishna the the experience of now being a parent and obviously so grateful to have my father to give me guidance but my parenting growing up was i'm just gonna hand the kid to my mom <laughs> and, and let her tell me what to do yeah. you know she has a earache what do i do you know or or she you know so many different things and i um obviously all these different milestones bring up so many you know desires to be able to share this and 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 a lot of you know sensibility knowing that she isn't that die is not going to be like have her direct association you know and that's definitely very difficult but as a result of that also i my father wanted some seva done i was like let's go we need to have his association Daya needs to have you know Daya calls him opa because in german that means grandfather so she has mm. her opa and she has a relationship with him and we call him at least twice a week so that you know opa's in her consciousness sure. and and oma's still there oma's obviously grandma and you know she right. sees pictures of her and we have her ankle bells on our altar and you know so there's a there's a relationship there somehow and with time there will come a moment where i will be able to share with her the glories of her grandmother but until then you know that some relationship there is is like a piece of the heart you know beautiful I mean, we could do a whole podcast on just this topic, but we should move on to okay. to another thing. But but it's so it's really nice and it's really hope giving to hear that because for those of us who are going to have to eventually go through such an experience and hopefully similar uh, auspiciousness uh, of of our parents passing, it's it's very hope giving that you've come out of it like it seems like with so much realization, so much stronger, so much, uh, like you said, those are happy tears. You're like very happy. It's not, it's not something that's like, of course there's pain in there involved, but with, with your background in Krishna consciousness, there is a, you know, the Vipra Lumba, so to say is, is a happy pain in some mm. sort of way. Right? Yes. The most, most of the tears and the thing is they come in waves and you can never see them coming. Mm. You think you you can be prepared, right. or you know, and sometimes because now we've we've celebrated her passing a few times, and sometimes you're oh the day is coming, I'm really nervous, I really want to break down, and then the day goes by and it's like any other day, and then you feel like well am I forgetting her? What's going on? And then two days later, you know something happens, it's crack, you know, right. and and right. so far all of those emotions are are very wonderful, like you said, this feeling of of Vipralamba, but the the difficult emotions. Are, are definitely even more lessons. And that's when, when you remember nonsensical moments of how useless of a person you were and <laughs> mistreating her and not showing her the right love, the right respect. And then, so now when I see, you know, in my clients, you know, um, a, a, a difficult relationship with the mother, you know, I'm always like, please repair this, please, you know, wow. make this work. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to be given so many opportunities. Obviously, my relationship with Ma was wonderful, but still so many things I feel I could have done better. Um, but now I'm extra sensitive to anyone. I see anyone disagreeing or, or frustrated or like eye rolls on my mom. I'm just like, please, you know, love her now while you can. Yeah, and and that's a wonderful lesson, you know, a wonderful way to. And, and how else could one 
reach such a very real, you know, belief and 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 awareness until that 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 opportunity for for association is is, is no longer. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's really. I mean, how do your clients like? You know, sometimes it's unrepairable. Sometimes relationships are that bad from parent and whatever the karmic thing there might be. Yes, the, yes, but really there's there's to? no relationship that's unrepairable. There is no relationship that is unrepairable. It's just how much energy is going to take. It's a classic thing. Okay, are these two people compatible? Okay, classic thing. You know, um, are they compatible? It equals they should get married and not compatible equals they shouldn't like no it's it's not so white and black the compatibility just defines how much work each individual is going to have to put into the relationship to make it work right if the if it's this, this is the the other coast there's an ocean in between send a bridge across yes i mean isn't there like a bridge that goes all the way to hawaii or something like that some crazy long bridge like if there is a will there is a way the question is, how much energy do you want to be putting into maintaining your relationship? But any relationship is repairable. Um, maintainable is harder. Repairable is easy because it's one large gesture of reparation or, or a certain amount of time reparation. And then so long as you don't damage it, you can just kind of leave it and it'll still be repaired, especially if it's with a parent that you don't even interact with. But you haven't spoken to for God knows how long because of some foolish thing that neither of you can even remember. Repair that relationship, put some energy into it, and then continue living your lives. And now you know there's there's some um there's some peace of mind and when the two of you interact it can be sweet and it doesn't have to be prolonged you don't have to live in the same house again or something you just live peacefully but separately but now you've repaired this little thing that could easily be repaired you know it's just is yeah there's no such thing as a relationship that cannot be repaired i i don't believe that i i really like that um this is a great segue into into what i want to talk about next Although I love, you know, hearing about your mother and that that was just a fantastic um, story uh, about Jyotish, like how you got into it and um, a little bit, I'll ask some more specific questions about it, but like, I know your father does it. So he taught you and, and now you are kind of like have the torch and, and putting that forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we growing up with, with Pita, you know, I remember um, walking down the street and him just pointing out at some flowers and say, what combination of planetary energies manifests a flower to look like that, you know? <laughs> or or we meet someone that has a very interesting character and it's like, what what do you think that person has in the first house? Or what do you think that person's second house? Or what do you think that person's moon is, you know? So this is just like how we grew up. This is the kind of conversation we had around the breakfast table, you know? Wow. And and uh, it's just, you know, the way he was. And he used to, I mean, why am I speaking about him in in, in past tense he 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 still does this uh this thing where he'll he'll be like if you were stuck in a train you know and just make up this crazy scenario and be like what would you do you know and just to push you and 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 use your brain and do things so he really he likes to do that and uh, so so from a very young age technology was a very real obviously um in the group continue to study jyotish under fiction amasha who's a wonderful astrologer um and a very powerful personality. And then I continued to different teachers completing my training in the Guruko. But I, I would say those teachers more, I absorbed certain aspects of their style and, 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 and approach. But um, I would say my main teachers definitely would be um, Subhekshana Mahashaya from the Guruko, uh, my father, and then a few other wonderful devotees that, you know, have compiled different books or literature that I, I like to, to absorb. 
Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the literature um, connected to Jyotish does have a certain Mayavadi flavor. So you have to be able to go in there, absorb the separate the milk from the water, so to speak. <laughs> um, I hear a lot of devotees, astrologers on on Facebook. I've seen mostly older devotees who kind of are doing this like prediction kind of astrology and predicting certain things of what's going to happen in the world. And it's like really dark and kind of like scaring people, not, not like intentionally, but in a way to be like, okay, maybe we should do what Prabhupada wanted us to do. Like go live on the, off the land and things like that. Um, what is your viewpoint on, on that? Because in some ways, I, I appreciate that. I do. But in some ways, I do also. I'm like, is there, is it necessary to kind of scare people <laughs> into mm. doing mm. what, you know, a pro pod telling us to do? Like, there's other ways to, like, make that, um, what's the what's the word, like, encourage people, uh, mm. attract them or encourage them to do that? Yeah. Okay. Um before entering into this realm of conversation, I would just like to say that I'm speaking purely from my own, you know, tiny point of view. And I'm just a simple individual who has no knowledge of anything whatsoever. And these personalities might actually be doing this as a great service and right. they might actually have a vision, but limited perspective. That's I great. don't I, agree. I'll tag along. I, don't agree I want to tag that. along with that. I, I don't mean this as a. No, no, I know, a, I know. I know. Because I'm the one who's about it now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so my approach to Joe is very much, very much the awareness that the, the science itself is extremely broad and the capacity and the ability of a qualified astrologer to produce all kinds of wonderful details and information, both about past, present, and future, is there. It is possible. A qualified she can absorb such from the stars and to translate that into whatever language an individual may be able to assimilate. That is a fact. Okay. The question is what should be translated, right? We understand that a Jyotishi should only transmit a small percentage, according to Parasara Muni, the father of Jyotish, a small percentage of what he or she sees, right? What is going to best benefit the native? The personality who is absorbing this chart, right? So one of the the greatest disservices that I believe one can actually and and, and unfortunately happens all the time is taking astrology um, from a very academic point of view, where it's like this is what it says, right? So this is what I'm going to transmit, and and you kind of cut out the the sensitive aspect of. This personality is literally whoever is sitting across from me or next to me is waiting to for me to give them some kind of information that is being transmitted from the stars, and they're going to take that and, and and embrace it or hold on to it or or use it as a shield or whatever they're going to do with that information. They have their own idea of what they want to do and how they're going to take what I say and make it work for them. So it's like you know, swamis they were so expert for pound shastra, you know, cannot be changed, right? You know, this description, Jiva Goswami, could, you could read it in any way and it would still say the same thing because the nature is to take something and say, okay, how am I going to interpret this, right? We unfortunately see with the Bible, the Holy Bible, how much effect 
how many different people's hands have been in there that that now the shift and the change and there's so many different discrepancies and different books and different versions obviously over such a long period of time for sure many of those shifts were unintentional um or at least not consciously shifting you know but but the tendency is you tell me something how am i going to absorb that to work with what i want to see so that's one aspect the other aspect is that is an is the naive nature of humanity when they look towards jyotish it's like this you know this some people even think it's some kind of like like a psychic reading you know i heard today someone told me like my friend doesn't feel comfortable coming to a reading with you because she's scared that you're going to see you know everything about her and what she thinks and how so it's not a psychic reading it's not what we're doing here but the tendency is there's two problems there's the 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 native or the clients viewpoint towards astrology and the start of how they're going to interpret and take you say and then there's the astrologers disposition towards what they want to also see in the stars right so there's this very easy to look for something and find it it's very easy very easy but beyond that the question is why are you looking for this bhaktivinotakur describes atyahara is not just atyahara of things and possessions atyahara of not very real thing and is a very real problem right most of my clients that ask about the future i say what are you going to do with that information in a nice way i say let's let's talk about the present right let's talk about you know possibilities but let's not talk about what, what's the point of knowing when you're going to leave your body what's the point of that what are you going to do with that information really are you ready to go to the ganges and sit and listen to bhagavatam if i told you that you had this much time left or you should be freaking out about this right yeah. i'm not saying that i'm capable of telling someone but i'm i'm saying that this is the principle right so when it comes to this predictions about the world in general my approach is yes there is a place for wonderfulers and qualified personalities to look at the stars and project the trajectory of human society and the space for that to be shared with is with the leaders of society with the king the king would have a jyotishi you know read the 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 chart for his kingdom and for his neighboring kingdoms and what's going to go on and and how he can move his his entire nation and generations towards a future but what's the point of the the masses listening to some you know reading of of the future especially when it looks so dark mm i guess i guess it's a part of vaishnav culture like you know it says this is the bhagavatam or bhagavata satyam priyam hitam like to speak in a way that's digestible and it doesn't disturb people so would you say that that's as a jyotish that's also a part of your uh, you know etiquette so to say of being a jyotish that you speak in a way that is um not violent or disturbing but but at the same time like i i thought that i i had a friend and and we would we went to the same astrologer like and we went to a bunch of astrologers and they and and it was like all good things like they were telling me all good things but that also didn't sit right with me because i was like okay my life is just not all positive you know like so there has to be a balance right it, does it have to be a balance from astrologer point of view like if something's if you see if you see something and it's like punching you in the face like when you read it it's like do you have to express that Yes, yes. So, so, 
So, so there's definitely a principle of balance for sure, for sure. And every astrologer will have a style of, of reading as well, which is definitely true and, and individualistic. Um, and then, at least for myself, I'll read differently depending on the client, right? If I see that the client has a very strong self sense of concept and a very strong vision and a strong willed person, I can be a lot more direct about the things they need to work on. Right? right. And I can say, look, you know, you, your ego is your biggest problem. You need to work with this. And they'll be like, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, I, I hear you. And then you have another client that's that doesn't have this, has all kinds of, you know, nervous, you know, situations. And, and, and the nervous system is weak and the self-concept is weak. And their parents might have been very strong and they naturally, you know, so they're, they're fearful of you to come and chastise them. So then naturally you uplift them you you provide them some and also the transits this person is going through a heavy saturnian period you know rahu aspecting their health and you know you just want to make them feel like hey you know you're in the tunnel but there's light on the other side you know and then you meet the same person a few years later and then you're like hey pull yourself together so it's the nature of a teacher you enter into that position you have to take that responsibility of a teacher a teacher cannot teach the same thing to every student at the same time but we just spoke in the beginning with the parents you have to be ready to adjust so if you're going to make a reading and post it online for everyone to hear, how are you adjusting to each and every individual? You're not. Everyone's getting the same principle. So yes, for some people, maybe they're able to get benefit out of that, but many of them are just going to be fearful, right? right. We can say, yeah, Kali Yuga, look at Kali Yuga. You'll be eating your own, your own children, you know, and, and all this crazy nonsense that, that, you know, Kali Yuga brings up. But is that what we bring up at a bhakti program on the Sunday feast? And, you know, so like, no. Don't bring that up yet. Like, yeah. I don't even know when I'm going to bring that up with my own daughter. Like, yeah, like there'll be a moment where I have to explain her the Kali Yuga and what it turns into. But <laughs> there's a time, place, and circumstance. Sure. So the, the principle of being able to, and, and I'm not saying that these kind of forecasts or overall world global charts shouldn't be done. I, I feel that there's definite wonderful potential. And if you can package it in such a way that makes the individual feel like now is the time, Prahlad Maharaj, to take you know, Krishna conscious seriously and my spiritual life seriously. And it's a wonderful, but if the result of your presentation is just strength, you know, worry, fear, then how are you actually uplifting? And then you're doing a disservice ultimately. That is my humble opinion. I really like that. When you, when you said like, if you have someone and you tell them like, what's the use of you knowing like when you're going to die and they, they might not be able to process that when it comes to any kind of information from astrology, what is the use of knowing like events? So like, Prabhupada, like, I guess, I guess my, I guess the question succinctly is what's in your point of view, what is the use of astrology and astro astrological readings for a person? Sure. I mean, so my, my, what I believe is the strongest gift is definitely the ability to identify, accept, and work on our karma, right? It's looking at the past in a, in a very strong sense, right? Because ultimately, what is, the, what is the birth chart? We're looking at the structure of planets at the time of your birth. That means that's what you're bringing from your previous life. We're not even talking about whatever you may have done this life. That's just your previous life. So let's work on that. Like, what are we bringing? What anartas are we working with? What karmic, you know, structures are we dealing with? And how are we going to accept that, work on that, develop that, mature that, right? So then it's a very clear um, um, uh, ability to look at our karma separated, right? Because the, the planets are recognized as karma karakas. They're Shaktivish avatars of Narayan transmitting our karma. 
So here, this is the karma you're dealing with. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's why you know I have a short fuse. Oh, okay, that's why I have difficulty when people are like this. Oh, okay, that's why I'm naturally strong when I'm in these circumstances. Okay, so then knowing that, then it's your decision if you want to take that same Brahmin or that same priest or that same astrologer to then be your guide and how to deal with that, wonderful. Or then now knowing that you want to work on that yourself, great. Or you want to find a life coach, great. But the Brahmin or the, the, the Jyotishi is simply providing you with the knowledge of what karmic structure you have, then what are you going to do with that? Right? Mm. That, my belief is the strongest benefit. Um, because ultimately, where is Jyotish in the hierarchy of Vedic knowledge? You have the Veda, right? Then the Vedanga is right there, right? It doesn't come, Jyotish doesn't come after some Purana, some Upanishads. No, it's right there. It's the Veda, Vedanga. Boom. Jyotish is right at the top. Why is the discussion of karma? so significant in a society and in a structure of knowledge that is all about overcoming karma and living you know in a, in a sattvic and overcoming sattvic and to vaikuntha or goloka vrindavan why is astrology so significant and right at the top of this this pyramid of knowledge why because the proper application of astrology allows us to understand how to best apply our nature how to best apply our varna how to best apply our our and those in our, knowing those situations, how to maneuver, and even in the earlier stages of sadhana, how to um, structure our sadhana. Obviously, once sadhana is maturing, it overrides all these karmic, you know, limitations. But in the early stages, you have someone that has Jupiter debilitated. They're not going to sit around and read. You tell them, yeah, read Bhagavatam every day. That's not going to work for them. Wow. Wow. Right. They have Mars ex exalted, Mars well placed. And so you say, learn how to play Murdanga. Oh, really? That'll work for me. Yeah. Your rhythm is great. Yeah. Actually, you'll find myself tapping on things all the time. Learn Murdanga, play in Kirtan. All of a sudden they're hearing the holy name, hearing the holy name. They identify as a Kirtania. Maybe, you know, there's some, some, you know, you know, some anartas manifest there, but that's something that the holy name can assist them to deal with. So yeah, there's so much that we can, we can develop in our practice, understanding, the astro this is spe specifically as a Vaishnava, right? We think, oh, astrology, karma doesn't apply because once you practice devotional service, yeah, to the degree that you are surrendered, to that degree you overcome karma. Right. So karma is so still very real for most of us. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to what you said uh, about reading Srimad Bhagavatam. But so, so that's really fascinating because I feel that I do agree with that to an extent but isn't it that it's a like it's a spiritual activity like we think like we think of it as in black and white and one size fits all all the time don't we like when we think of krishna conscious activities chanting japa reading Srimad bhagavatam like everyone's everyone should be doing that everyone can do that and everyone you know has that opportunity to do that but i do really i i i really found that interesting what you said that someone who has a certain personality may not be able to sit like that and do that so can you tell us a, can you speak a little bit more about on one side okay and this is in the context of devotees on on one side okay japa kirtan reading and on the other side your own your own like your own body that you're in and its limitations and uh influences by the planets etc 
Sure. I mean, thank you so much for, for bringing that up because as soon as I said that, I felt like that has to be expanded upon because otherwise it can no, very it can be taken easily. the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. And, 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 you know, how can, how can one be so arrogant to say that reading the Bhagavatam won't work for an individual? And, and it, yes, that is a completely arrogant thing to say. However, it's so easy to commit aparat as I most probably just did. Right. I don't, I don't but, think. I, I see what you're saying, but you know, but there's a, there's something to say about just okay, even not even adding Bhagavatam, but just studying. Like there's a certain type of person that's able to exactly. So if but what I meant to say to to clarify is, if I told someone you want to be a spiritual person, just sit down and read Bhagavatam. That's all you have to do. And this Bhagavatam is so that if this person sincerely took that instruction and sat down every day and read the Bhagavatam, they would overcome everything. Right, right. But will they be able to sit down every day and read the Bhagavatam and feel fulfilled? I don't believe so. Mm. Because they will commit aparat. They will sit there in front of the Bhagavatam board. They will sit there, maybe have their phone out. Maybe they'll, you know, try and absorb it or, you know, that, that sense of respect to literature. All of a sudden, it's sitting there on the bed, on the floor, being asleep, who knows things might manifest? The principle is that the, the five emotional services are always going to be relevant. But how are you going to engage them? Someone is attracted to, to ritual, wonderful. Worship the Bhagavatam. Get, get an incense, get a little lamp, get something really nice in Loi Bazaar and do a beautiful RT to the Bhagavatam. And one day, you will all of a sudden be inspired like, well, maybe I should read that. Mm. And then you open it. And all of a sudden, as a result of that seva, you read the Bhagavatam. And then now all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the mercy manifests principle is even if they never point they were able to worship the bhagavatam with that you know incense and and bell with all of their heart they will be doing a better service to the bhagavatam than sitting and forcing themselves trying to cram you know however many letters per per day or whatever so that i can finish the bhagavatam in x amount of time yeah so so there's so that's why Krishna consciousness is so broad. That's why there's so many areas of service. There's so many different devotees, so many different moods of service, even different rasas. Even Krishna himself has a variety of natures and, and beauties and dynamics because every individual is slightly different. And that's what Krishna appreciates, right? Mm -hmm. that, is, that is what breaks us apart from the Mayavada consciousness, different. Now, that difference also affects our conditioning. And we have to purify that condition. We do not accept our conditioning as our uniqueness. And therefore, I'm conditioned. And therefore, I will do Krishna consciousness like this. If it's not in line with Guru Sarvan Shastra, then it's some kind of deviation. But within, just within those brackets of Guru Sarvan Shastra, there's still such a broad rainbow of variety of services and moods of services as well, where you can have 100 devotees worshiping a shalagram and their mood and service will be completely different. And each one can be perfect and complete. Right. So then, but then in those early stages, how they're going to worship will change. Right. Uh, by the mercy of, of my wonderful spiritual master and parents and teachers, I'm very attracted to puja. I love puja and, and reading different people's puja sadness. I have friends, I see new pictures. Oh, please send me your, 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 your puja manual. Like, how are you doing puja? I'd love to know. Yeah. Right. And everyone has these wonderful different approaches that fall under the same structure. But for one person, the, the mood is slightly different, and Krishna is appreciating all those differences. So understanding our conditioning and accepting that, knowing I...
do well in this kind of environment. So let me engage that in Krishna's service. That's just an intelligent approach to Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti. Right. right? It just has to fall under the parameters of Guru Sadhu Shastra. Yeah, like yeah, being un honest about where you are and moving forward from where you are. Uh, I always hear this wonderful example, like when you go to the mall, when you look at the map when of the different stores, you see store 101, 102. But the but the main thing is when it says you are here, mm. right? When you are when you understand where you are. Then you can make progress to okay. I want. How do I get to you know store one hundred eight or one hundred two, whatever it is. So it's it's it's. It, I I love that. It's important to uh, understand our own conditionings. Um, with devotees, do you ever get that? I mean, for me personally, like just just my speaking from my own um, experience, like I was really into under trying to see like what's going to happen or or. You know, the there's like there's like some kind of like sort of sense gratification with like oh, yeah. predictions. I'm sure you know so much about that. But now I think like, okay, well, whatever's gonna happen to me is gonna happen, and I kind of like I'm okay with it because you know I can always take shelter of Krishna or the devotees or things like that. Is that something? Is that a healthy way to to look at it? And what would you say to someone who came to you with that attitude? But Obviously, you're a Jyoti, so how can you help someone who has that mood? So I, I think it boils down to a similar nature of this, you know, atyahara, this over, this desire to know more than you need to know, right? Mm -hmm. This desire of like, oh, you know, how is this going to pan out? Or, and 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 the principle is, you know, Shri Prabhupada gave a wonderful, you know, description when someone asked about Jyotish um, for the exact circumstance. We said, you know, if you hear this rain, then you take an umbrella, you know, but your life goes on. Right. He didn't say, then don't go outside. Don't go on Sankirtan. No, he said, then you take an umbrella, but you continue with your service. So the principle is that, you know, it's nice to know. And, and if someone came with this, you know, I, I do have a disclaimer. If someone reached out and wanted to, I'm just like, hey, but this is just the way I. And if someone says, oh, no, but I need this and say, then please find someone else. And it's happened where I just say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Um, because it's just Can not. Can you give an example of what you mean? Like what, what part of the disclaimer? Um, I mean, no, does it you know, a client reaches out and wants to know a very specific um, time or circumstance or will something happen in a certain time for a certain individual, right? Will my daughter get married, you know? It's, for me, that, that if that's what you're looking for, then please find a, a Jyotishi that can provide you with that. I, I like to be a little bit more hands-on. My question is, you know, what are the circumstances? Why, why is that so important? You know, what, what is her desire? What, what is her situation? What is her back? What is her emotional transit? What is she going through right now? Planetary state. Does she want to get, you know? So, so there's so much more that comes behind that, and uh, and I just simply don't offer that service. Though, if someone would like that, I'm sure there are astrologers that provide that. But my approach is okay. You, you, if someone would say, hey, you know, I'm entering this relationship, I'm very happy in this relationship, and we'd like to find the most auspicious time for us to get married, and then when would be a good time to start thinking of children? Yeah, let's have that talk. Let's sit down and talk about that. Let's look at where we are emotionally, spiritually, financially, the karmic structure, and how that will come together with your partner. When is a good time, health-wise, planetary, period-wise, to move in that, have that conversation. But it tends to be a, a, a 
like eras or times that, that these particular times are conducive for this. It's like if someone said, hey, I want to have you know, an outdoor wedding. When is a good time? I would say not during rainy season. You know, don't do an outdoor wedding. To, oh, yeah, it's summertime because the sun will be out. Yes, but it might be too hot. Are you going to have some tents? So you can have a talk. But you say, if someone said, when should I have my outdoor wedding? I'm not going to be able to give them a particular date because then close to that day, they have just looking at the circumstances. What does the forecast say for these days, et cetera? Mm-hmm. It's a lot like, you know, the stars tell me that you shall, you know, whatever this particular time and date and a lot more. Let's let's explore that together. Let's discuss that together and see, you know, how our karmas are going to aspect this particular experience over that period of time. So there's a way to do it and, and fulfill that desire of knowledge, but without getting pedantic and stuck in the details and, and very black and white. Right. Um, I think that something that does interest me about astrology is understanding someone's like nature especially as a parent and i know you can probably relate with this too seeing the the chart or the you know the horoscope basically of your child and understanding okay maybe i should push them in this certain way because they're attracted to this specific whatever it may be job or career or uh art or whatever thing so do you recommend that some parents do the horoscope of the child at the birth or even later to understand something like that and, and help them go in that way? Absolutely. I think that those those moments, the, the moments where, where a reading would be most conducive is definitely, you know, um, the birth of your child to kind of get to know what, what karmic structure they're bringing and kind of make a plan of how best to serve them as parents. Um, then later on, when the child is moving to a point of kind of developing their own identity, to even read, if you trust the astrologer, to read together with the parent and let the child also ask some questions. It's it's very fun and very dynamic conversation. Oh, and then sometimes it opens up a new channel between the parents and the children. Um, and all of a sudden, oh, wow, I didn't know you felt like that. And then you kind of just let them take it from there. It's It's really nice. Uh, and then obviously schooling later in life where you're making those kind of shifts um, and then new relationships is a great time to look at the charts again. I mean, ultimately, it's like these big, um, you know, um, what would you say, milestones. It, it's nice to just slow down and just look back and see what we're bringing, what, what baggage we're carrying, and, uh, and how that's going to affect moving forward. But ultimately, you know, and this something is also very significant to say before a reading and before anyone goes to reading anywhere is that this is simply one individual's interpretation of a sky full of stars and their knowledge, their desire to serve you and based on Krishna Paramahamna manifesting in their heart to, to offer you some kind of guidance. But then from that point, you have to take what you're going to you know, be able to absorb and apply that. Otherwise, it's just you know, sense gratification sitting together and talking about yourself or what you have to take from the, something and apply it and there's some benefit can manifest. I would see that for an astrologer, when you are giving someone this kind of very intimate information, that there can be uh, a relationship develop of like of a teacher and of a guide and of a coach, so to say. And that's something that's something you do, right? For for people and. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, like 
maybe like like a testimonial, so to say, of 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 you of you doing that because I think that's really important as a that you you have lived that life of a Brahmin from from we've heard this whole time about your upbringing, your birth, and your family and things like that. So I think it's really important that. I mean, I'd love that if people can con get connected with you and also get connected to you in a way of like, as a teacher, as and not just a Jyotish, but as a guide as well. Sure, yeah. This this sense of of coaching or or a guide or assistant or or servant ultimately definitely is, is something I, I very much enjoy offering. Um, mm -hmm. And my limitations, however, when when there are uh, medical situations, when there are um, uh, levels of of uh, trauma that are that are so significant. I always refer um, person to a professional, either a healthcare professional or whatever the circumstance may be. And especially when it comes to emotional or trauma, there's so many wonderful things. Um, you know, my dear friend Danya, for example. I mean, there's there's so many wonderful devotees engaged professionally in this realm. So when there is something like that, something very specific then I always refer onward. But when it comes to spiritual development, that's where I, I very much enjoy. And, and as far as a testimonial or, or something, um, oh, it kind of put me on the spot there. I wish I had thought of this before. Um, sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, oh, I mean, oh, no, one came up. Yeah. Um, yeah. This wonderful personality, a friend who um, obviously attracted to spirituality in general, but not attracted to Krishna consciousness at all. Uh, definitely more on the Mayavad kind of approach, Brahmavad, if that. And uh, and asked for a reading. We did a reading, and then we started discussing the, the, the principle of karma. And then that naturally opens up into other questions. And we went from talking about their chart to karma and the structure of karma, and then from karma to the structure of the universe, all of a sudden we're talking about Bhumandala and how the astros and the planets are aspecting and and then all of a sudden these different planetary systems and then it's just the conversation went and then our time was up and they were like, you know, really like to continue this conversation. And I was like, we haven't even spoken about your chart yet. And it's like, you know, I don't really care about that. Let's let's keep going here. <laughs> and then uh, and then we just continue with that conversation. And somehow throughout, we kept tying in aspects of their chart. So it became very personalized. And uh, and it was something just kind of spontaneously manifested and over. A few sessions we continue through the chart in all these different aspects and um and and definitely they started to open up as far as their spiritual practice and 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 their sadhana and became very clear to me that unfortunately they were kind of misguided um into following a a, a sadhana and a practice that has no foundation in in classical Vedic philosophy whatsoever. I mean, there was definitely some influence from Paramahamada Yogananda, which can be tied into like a Brahmavad Shakta, you know, nature. And then there was, you know, some other teacher and there was just a huge mix of different things going on. And they ultimately realized like, I'm doing so many different things, but I just feel so pulled in different directions and lost. Like, like yeah. what should I do? You know? Right. And, and, and then it was this moment I said, there is actually a famous, king who asked this very question what should i do would you like to hear about him I'm like yeah okay so then we started talking about the bhagavad-gita and 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 obviously there was an opening there for bhagavad-gita and bhagavatam right because that king what should i do so we spoke about the gita for a little while and then i said you know actually we're preparing a play we're preparing a theater a great king who 
asked this question, what should I do at the moment of death? How should I die? How should I prepare for death? And she was like, wow, this is far out. I said, would you like to be a part of this play? We're actually preparing this play. And she wanted to be a part of the play. Um, due to many different things she had going on, she came to a couple of rehearsals, didn't end up being a part of the play, but she got tied into that. She came, watched the play, blown away, and she hear all about the story of this. She started talking about Pariksit Maharaj. His, and by this point, it was just a weekly class that we had. It went from the chart to a weekly class, and we would discuss Pariksit Maharaj. And then finally, very, very quickly, we got to the end of the Bhagavatam, and then, you know, so then Takshika came, and, 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 and his life was complete. And she's like, and then what happened? Like, what about his family? I was like, okay, interestingly enough, right before he left, he came and asked, question she's like wow what did she ask and we started the brihad bhagavatam rita oh my gosh so we're talking the whole pandemic this is the whole pandemic you know and then i find myself sitting with this wonderful individual sharing the brihad bhagavatam rita and there was this moment where she looks up at me and she says so the gopis of Vrindavan are the greatest devotees and i was like <laughs> yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're kidding me. Wow. And, uh, and then, and then she just sat back, and uh, and we both had like a silent moment. She said, "You know, she was just like, wow, like this is this is so substantial." I was like, "Yes, Krishna consciousness is absolutely substantial." So and, we went uh, from so we went from yeah, the chart yeah. to Gopi Leela. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> over two years of pandemic. Yeah. Wow. More, but yeah, it was it was a very wonderful and and very natural and not forced, you know, like yeah. Yeah. came from from her desire to learn more, learn more, and um, and I'm sure that over time, and that's like I said, you know, at a certain point life gets involved. She started getting busy, developed a new business. Our classes started kind of fading. We haven't touched base in a while, and mm -hmm. I'm sure she's doing well. I can see her, you know, business is developing well, and you know one can feel like oh you know she she didn't join the temple or something but that's really not my mood and at some point years down the road you know she'll click right back in and and and, yeah. and no kind of she has like this grounding the sense of it's like that kite you know that that can fly but you you that kite can fly because there's that string attaching and that's what allows it to to function so you know, uh, my beloved spiritual master has a very similar mood. Like we're not, we're not trying to, you know, make devotees shave heads. It's just plant the seed of bhakti, and then if, and then you know that in fertile soil, that that blossom will, will blossom. It just takes some time, but you do what you can. You know. Beautiful. Wow. Well, I've I've had a fantastic time speaking with you and getting to know you better, and uh, I'm very impressed by your articulation and your depth and your maturity. Um, and I think that comes from like lifetimes, to be honest, of Krishna consciousness and now to, to what we're seeing here. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about your um, upcoming uh, Jyotish, oh, introduc yeah. introductory Jyotish um, session that you're having at the Bhakti Center. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I'm just going to put this on the screen. This is uh, Prabhu's um, website, your Brahmin friend. For all those listening on audio, it's your Brahmin, B-R-A-H-M-I-N, friend.com. And you can see all of his, get in contact with him there, see this uh, session that's coming up at the Bhakti Center. Tell us a little bit really briefly about that. Sure. So, yeah, um, we were actually after a wonderful lifetime of absorbing uh, 
the, the mercy of our teachers and, and parents, we are beginning. Um, this is going to be the first kind of training workshop that I'm doing on the topic of Vedic astrology. And uh, we're going to be um, presenting that together with the Bhakti Center, a wonderful preaching platform that I look up to with so much love and uh, really, really, um, it's, it's just such an honor to be able to do something connected with the Bhakti Center in general. So in this presentation, we're just going to spend a little while, you can see here on the screen, um, it's just going to be from 6 to 7.15 p.m. It's a short little segment on the 17th of August. And we're just going to open up that space and share a, a very, like, just cracking the door to what is Jyotish, what is the concept of the planets, how does the reading actually take place, um, and then one could actually approach an astrologer or astrology in general with a much more substantial understanding of what is actually going on and, and how this, this reading is taking place. And this is just like an intro. And then uh, in September, we will be doing our, our a course, which will be just the planets. We're going to talk the intro, you know, uh, what's it? We think we're going with um, foundations of astrology, the planets. So then we're just going to. We're going to take, I think it's going to be four days. We're going to break open uh, the planets and just talk about them. And then we'll go through the houses and like that. We're going to go segment by segment. So, yeah, this is going to be a wonderful. This is a free entry. The the one we're doing now um, is going to be free entry. So you're more than welcome to come and, and share the space. Wonderful. And, okay, this is online. Um, along it's online, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You sign up on the Bhakti Center or on my website. Both both places have the link to yeah. sign up. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'd like to bring you on again. I mean, I had such a fun time to talk with you. We didn't we didn't even touch on all the other things that I wanted to talk about, but we're, it looks like we're out of time. Um, but uh, thank you again for, for joining me. And if uh, for our listeners, if you want to get in touch with him, yourbrahmanfriend.com. Get in touch with Srinam Vanamali Prabhu there. And uh, yeah, uh, stay on. I'm just going to turn off the live. If you have any other closing thoughts, you can you can uh, share them if you want. Thank you so much. It's just uh, again, it's so sweet, and I really appreciate the platform, the space that you've opened up. I've been watching your uh, late morning programs for a while. I really love the title, late morning program. I think it's so <laughs> quick. I just love it. And uh, and yeah, I think that um, I'm I'm just feeling very fortunate to have been able to to share a little bit here and to have your association and definitely looking forward to to uh, hearing feedback from my friends and other wonderful personalities that that see the the show and maybe put comments or whatever and and just to absorb more how better I can I can serve you all. So thank you, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Hare Krishna, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, stay on, Sri Nama. Krishna, 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 Hare Hare.